Welcome to the Andy Staples Show. It is a Dear Andy edition. You ask great questions. We give you pretty good answers. They're going to be really good answers today, though, because one of my favorite Dear Andy co-hosts is joining me today, and that is Mr. Ari Wasserman. Hi, Ari. How are you doing? It feels good to be back, man. I've been listening to your show every day, and you got all these right. I'm like, when is he going to get me back on the show? So I was very delighted to see that I was next up. Well, I heard you celebrated America's birthday in style by going to the best barbecue place west of the Rockies. Yeah, Little Miss Barbecue in Phoenix, Arizona. And it was pickup, as we were all Corona conscious, but conscious, excuse me, but it was it was delicious. Now, I don't know if I'm going to offend you on your own podcast, so just don't have uh, fire coming out of here, but... Barbecue is not at the top of my list of favorite types of food, so I don't know if I'm like an expert yet. And weird, I haven't been to all. I'm just gonna say yeah. that's just weird. I'll take Italian a hundred times out of a hundred. Uh, I'm a big carb guy, but um, and I haven't been to all the places. I went to a few that you had on your list in Tuscaloosa. You know, I've had my fair share. I went to the one in Kansas City that was a gas station. Uh, I, the name is escaping me uh, now. But, and, and they play yeah. up the gas station thing, but there's like a gas pump in front of a bar, <laughs> yeah, a very right. large full-service barbecue restaurant. Yeah, So, I, but I've had good stuff. And I, the thing that I will say about this is it was the most tender piece of meat that I've ever had. And I don't know like what needs to be done in order to make brisket melt in your mouth, but the barbecue sauce and the combination of how tender the meat was, I would say that it was probably the best that I've had, even more well, so than the ones in Tuscaloosa. You didn't, you didn't need that barbecue sauce, I'll tell you that right now, because they they do a great job, and it's really hard to do brisket as well as they do it. The, there are some places in Texas that do it that well, but there are very few in the country that do it better than Little Miss. It's, it's outstanding. They used to do a smoked lamb neck there, and apparently I was the only one who liked it because they, they took it off the menu, but it was outstanding. If you haven't had smoked lamb... That is, ooh, it's so good. I it, it, He does it, I think, on special occasions now, but their brisket is outstanding, and I do think it is the best barbecue west of, probably west of Texas, west of the Rockies, however you want to describe it. It's, it's definitely the best Pac-12 country barbecue there is. Well, I'll give my pops credit for that because he was, he was really high on it, and he was right. I uh, was very surprised because we ordered it at noon on July 4th. And it was ready in 15 minutes, no problem. So I don't know if it's a that scares virus me a little thing bit. or if people are afraid. <laughs> yeah, I thought that there would be no way we'd get it at all. Um, and it was very seamless. And I, actually really reasonable for the price, too. The whole family ate for 100 bucks, So I thought it was really, really good. That's outstanding. Well, I'm glad you're supporting restaurants on my list of my favorite 300 restaurants. Uh, quite a few in Phoenix. And uh, so hopefully you can get some uh, some tacos chihuahuas or uh, you know, just get around, so get around I the valley. To ask you about that, you go though, out man. to the, the Beer Research Institute and have some beers. Yeah. We went to Chompy's in Phoenix, and that didn't make the list, and I was personally offended. I need to go back to Chompy's one more time, and I think Chompy's will make the list. I, I, okay. I yeah, whenever faith. you do it again, I was I was baffled because that was the most impressive display of eating I've ever seen. The place is delicious. I thought I got an A-plus on, on the recommendation, 
And I, I've been to most of the places that you had on your Phoenix list, and I think Chompies belongs on that list. Well, I think we can probably get Chompies on the second edition of the list. The list is a living document, Ari. That's the <laughs> yeah, thing. So I need to go eat some more Chompies. Those those little slider things that they had there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'll take a few more of those, dunk them in gravy, and then Chompies will, will make the list. So we don't need okay, to worry about that. that's good to know. We'll be right back to the show, but I want to talk to you a little bit about The Athletic. I'm talking to Ari Wasserman today. He is one of our great writers, covered Ohio State, now covers recruiting all over the country. We've got the best college football coverage team in America. We've got the best NBA coverage team in America. We've got the best Major League Baseball coverage team in America. We have the best soccer coverage team in the freaking world. You get it all for about a latte a month. That's it. But we can make it even cheaper than that. For a 30-day free trial and 40% off your first year subscription to The Athletic, go to theathletic.com slash Andy Staples. That's theathletic.com slash A-N-D-Y-S-T-A-P-L-E-S. 30-day free trial and a 40% off your first year subscription. It is the best tiny pittance you'll ever spend. Theathletic.com slash Andy Staples. Let's get to some questions from some folks because you are our recruiting expert at The Athletic and we have a lot of recruiting questions that people just don't know the answers to right now. And it's, it's very difficult because everything's in flux. You know, the dead periods keep getting extended. Athletes can't go to campuses. There's not the, the normal on-campus camp circuit where kids are getting evaluated. The, the commitment cycle is all out of whack. And so we don't know what's going to happen. So the readers want to know, we'll start with Jack. How do you anticipate recruiting limitations during the pandemic affecting college football in the coming seasons, if at all? Not just this season, but in the coming season. I have a few thoughts, but I wanted to, to ask you first, what do you think the overarching lingering effect of this very strange recruiting cycle is going to be? You know, the, the thing that I want to know is, is the question about how we anticipate this having an impact on the field or how it's going to impact future cycles. Probably both. I, I would say both because I, and I, think, I think they're related to one another because one of the things I was thinking about with the on-the-field piece of it is evaluations are going to be all screwed up right now. This is a point where normally coaches would be getting their final evaluations on people who they're not entirely sure they want to take. Well, if you look at the commitment numbers, they've already taken those guys. And I'm not sure they feel entirely confident about who they've taken. And I'm not sure the players feel entirely confident about who they've committed to. But there's a record number of commits this year compared to other years. And I just feel like there's going to be a lot of people who get to a college campus and they will not be what the coaches expected to get. And, and that could be better or worse, but there will be some surprises and I think that will have an effect on coming recruiting cycles because you're going to have to, to then recruit around what you actually got. And I'm not sure they know what they get probably until January. Well, let's just start with the calendar. Like we're getting to the point now where August is coming up and the season's coming up and there's no visits yet all summer. And we have to stress the fact that the spring, especially now in a world where you have official visits for juniors going into their senior year during the summer months, none of those happened. And a lot of 
in the last few cycles since those rules passed, this has become probably the most instrumental part of the recruiting cycle because not only is it a camp circuit where, where um, college coaches can have players work out at their campuses and make final evaluations about whether or not they're takes, um, but it's also a chance for kids, especially high-profile prospects in the top 100, to get out on the road and, and see some places. And, you know, the thing that you have to also consider too, Andy, is that when kids take official visits in the middle of the, of the football season, they don't get as much time with coaches as you might anticipate because their coaches are trying to win a football game. They've got a bunch of people running around, a million visitors, a stadium that they've got to get all set up, and, and a lot of times there's not a lot of face time uh, unless it's Sunday. So um, these were very instrumental parts for relationship building and coming in and working out and seeing the campus and actually getting a bunch of attention from the academic staff, uh, teachers, everything else that they, they roll out for these guys. So when it comes to like what's going to happen, I think they're going to have to push this, this signing day back. Because uh, I don't think there's a guarantee that there's going to be any visits at all in the fall, and I think we're going to probably get to this here in, in the on this podcast. But if there's no visits, then that is a complete change of everything that we've ever seen from recruiting, and I think that's going to have a dramatic impact on a lot of things: transfers, kids going to the wrong schools because they don't feel comfortable when they get there, um, prospects being misevaluated by the coaching staffs when they have a chance to have them on campus, and that not being—I mean, there's a lot of uh, implications in terms of how things are going to get changed or kind of messed up if this continues. Well, I have some questions that, that, that kind of branch off of this because we talk about: is there going to be college football in the fall? Is it is it going to get moved to the spring? Is it going to get pushed back, start in October, something like that? Obviously, official visits and everything are tied to the college football season in season. If there's no in-season, what do you do? Do you let them take official visits in the fall if there's going to be a spring season? And here's the other question. This is something that, that came up in a conversation the other day, Ari. What if they move the seasons to the spring? Can you then play your early early enrollees in the 2020 season? Well, that was what was so funny because uh, Lincoln Riley was all talking. Of course, there can be a spring season, and it's like, well, he's about to sign the number four co- player in the class and the number one quarterback in the class. People are like, like Caleb, well, Williams, know, Caleb exactly. Williams is going to give Spencer Rattler a run for his money when they start playing games in February and March. Uh, like, I don't know the answer. I, th- that's why it's so fun to speculate about because, to me, and this might sound nuts to you. But I think there's a better chance of official visits happening in the fall if there is no season. Oh, yeah. no. Then it would be like the official visits in June and Right. In Just push July. it back a little bit. Yeah. And the, if they're quarantining these teams and they're trying to have a season, and again, I have no idea how this is actually going to work or what it's going to look like if it does work. But let's assume that they are having these these teams and these coaches in their facilities as much as possible trying to avoid exposure from the virus, how on earth could you possibly have official visits of people coming in from airports and coming into that building? You know, if Ohio State or uh, Alabama or any of these big-time programs are in a national championship race, are you going to let your quarterback around anybody who just came from the airport? Like, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) So, like, that's the thing that's so fascinating to me. I I don't know how you could possibly change the recruiting calendar um, permanently because – Obviously, this is in line with when they enroll and when they can play. But if they have a spring season, I still think that they have to um, let these guys sign um, in February. And they're going to be on the team. And at that point, I think you have to make a decision of are true freshmen um, allowed to play? Are scholarship limits going up? What happens? Because there's going to be a a mass um, exodus of talent off of current rosters. Yeah, let's let's talk about that. Because if there is a spring season – 
you're going to lose some NFL to be guys. Some, some people that are going into the draft next year aren't going to play. So would you, if you're the NCAA or well, the schools are the NCAA, but would you allow true freshmen from ostensibly the class of 2021, but early enrollees to take their place? Yeah, I mean, and it'd be like a basketball player reclassifying and, and playing a year early. But how do you do that if there's no exact number of every school? Like, do you give every school 10 extra spots for people who leave early um, for the NFL draft and don't play in the spring? And then everybody can pick 10 players out of the class? Do you up the scholarship limit? Is everybody allowed to? I mean, it's kind of a disaster because the thing with the NCAA, it, it has to. It, I, it'll, I, I'll, here you go. I got one. I got an idea. Here's how you do it. Everybody can go to 85. Everybody can play at 85. Now, if you're Kansas, that means you're going to play your whole class because you actually have 85 at this point. But if you're Alabama and you lose, I don't know how many people, because I don't think everybody who's draft eligible would necessarily go. I think the people who feel like they can play themselves up a round or two are still going to play. I don't think they would just leave. So, are you going to lose five, six if you're in Alabama or in Ohio State or Clemson? I don't know. But you could just say you can play at 85. Do that however you will. Okay, so then you you have to pick which players in your recruiting class best fit the needs of your current roster based on what lost. And How what is that any different than No, than I know. I, I love it. <laughs> it's, like, it's like having a minor league team. You can call up anybody you want. And like, I, <laughs> like if you're Oklahoma, do you just automatically call up um, – Caleb Williams and like if you're Oklahoma do you tell somebody who's a fringe NFL prospect to go so you can yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> probably <laughs> and, and 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 I start the clock on them just just start the clock like normal yeah. because let's say it's Caleb Williams I think that's a that's a good example to go with if it's Caleb Williams you you can probably as long as Spencer Rattler's healthy and remember Tanner Mordecai is still there as long as they're healthy you don't have to play Caleb Williams in more than four games. So that's a guy you may not have been redshirting anyway that you could maybe you redshirt for 2020 and he's going to play in 2021 like he was probably going to anyway. Yeah, no, I, I love the idea. And I like the idea of if you're in a situation where let's say you need a running back really bad and you have a five-star running back who's committed, you just call him up right now and let him play immediately. Would you be talking about that team in Columbus, Ohio? It just was the first position that came up into my mind, but the Ohio uh, State would be very happy to take Trevion Henderson, who's the best running back they've signed or will sign since Ezekiel Elliott. But just about anybody who's lacking an offensive playmaker. I mean, I think that like offensive skill position players at any school are the ones that pop off in my mind because those are the ones that are most likely to be able to contribute as true freshmen. So you yeah, and and you can plug in corners usually. The, those are it's much harder with linemen. Like yeah. you, you you're probably not plugging in a center that you just signed, especially one who's supposed to be playing in 2021. But yeah, it, it is a really weird situation, and there's so many different tentacles to this thing. Whether or not they play college football in the fall, because here's the other question that you and I haven't talked about yet, Ari. We keep talking about whether they're going to play college football in the fall. What if they do or don't, or it's sort of patchwork all over the country, play high school football? Yeah. What if some people play and some people don't? I also think that high school is probably more likely to cancel than college. Right. They don't have the mechanisms in yeah. place and the money and they all don't that have other the stuff. testing, and also they're children. Like, I think a lot of players on college teams are children too, but now in high school you're talking about 
15, 16, 17-year-old. Well, the, the, the college players, for the most part, except for the, the occasional 17-year-old who, yeah. who starts college pretty young, they are viewed as adults. In, you know, yeah. in the eyes of the government, they're adults. And I also think that there's like a threshold, and that's why I think there's a, I think they're going to play the NFL because my mom works at a bank, and my mom still goes to the bank every day because she needs to make a living. And she's a professional, and part of being somebody who works at a bank means you have to go to work and get paid. And to me, you can make the same correlation to an NFL player who is being compensated for doing that. Now, I don't know how they're going to be able to get around that with college athletes. Maybe they all want to play. I don't know how you do that. But, like, as you continue to go down levels, I think the the threshold for what it takes to actually get these guys in danger or to put themselves in danger is a little bit different, especially once you start taking money off the table. Yeah, I, it, it is really going to be a strange situation for the coaches trying to, to evaluate these guys because they didn't get them in camp between junior and senior year. They didn't get the in-person evaluation spring before their senior year. They will not get any senior film on some of these guys. They're going to be a lot of wrong evaluations, which brings me to question number two. From Chris in Blacksburg, if the recruiting dead period lasts indefinitely and there are no official visits this year, will there be more top-tier players than normal entering the transfer portal in future years? I think there's two prongs to this because I think there are going to be some under-recruited players who wind up at group of five schools and happen to be awesome and the power five schools are like, whoa, how do we miss this guy? Yeah. No, I think that you, the answer to that is, uh, Yes. <laughs> um, yes, the transfer portal is going to be hopping because of all this. Yeah, and I think, like, you're right. It's going to be both directions. And, you know, I don't think people realize, too, how many uh, kids go to these camps, are evaluated in person from coaching staffs, and then are X'd off or added to their roster or, or in terms of who's a take and who's not. And a lot of times it's, it's, it's attitude-related, too. Yeah. yeah, it's almost all of them. And the, and the other piece of it is, and this is something we talked about with Texas and when Mac Brown really accelerated the recruiting calendar and would basically take their entire class the Saturday after signing day, whenever the first home basketball game was the Saturday after signing day, they'd bring in a, have a huge junior day and basically take their entire class. And they get a lot of guys that, that would get that Texas offer, accept it. And then that's it. They just sort of shut it down and they wouldn't get what they were, were hoping for. And, that's going to be the situation here. There's going to be a lot. And a lot of it will be guys haven't been able to go to the weight room. You know, they've not been able to stay in shape. Some people need the structure of practice every day to stay in shape. I have no idea what's going to show up on college campuses based on who's committed right now. Yeah, and the other thing, too, that needs to be talked about as well, Andy, is at these camps, let's say it's a Power 5 big-time program that's having a camp to see whether or not a high-end or a fringe four-star prospect can make the cut. There are also 20 coaches from middle-tier programs that are not Power 5 that are analyzing and taking 11 or 12, 13, 14 kids from those camps to their team. I don't know how these like Sunbelt teams or these MAC teams are going to fill out their rosters. Do you know how dependent those coaches are on evaluating these in-state talent? I mean, it's it's a huge thing. Oh, absolutely. I, I always tell people when I was at the University of South Carolina camp between my junior and senior year, the coach at, from Presbyterian hit me up. And he's like, you ever heard of us? And I had because I had lived in South Carolina before, so I knew where it was. But I, my guess is most people are like, no, 
where are you? <laughs> what are you? But no, that you're exactly right. Because I didn't look like a South Carolina offensive lineman, but I did look like somebody who might be able to play for them. And they do a lot of that evaluation. Yeah. It's it's critically important for them. It's like a it's all a food chain, you know, and it's like the, the best players at the camp are gonna go to the best programs, and then all the second tier of players are gonna go to the second tier programs, and it's kinda like they use these camps in the summer to watch all of these kids work out and then they continue to break a hierarchy and then the hierarchy of the colleges because coaches aren't stupid. They know their place uh, on the food chain and they go exactly for where they're, but now that they don't have that in-person evaluation, I think you're going to see a ton of players that are too good to go to middle tier programs go and players that are too bad to go to really good programs. And I think that this might actually cause, and I don't know if I'm too much of a conspiracy theorist here, but this could cause there to be more parity in the sport than there's ever been in the next three years. I, I, I'm with you on that. I, I answered a mailbag question in a similar way in the written form. There's going to be some distribution. Now, look, Caleb Williams committed to, to Oklahoma. Alabama got a good edge rusher from, from St. Thomas Aquinas in Florida this week. It's not like the good schools are suddenly going to get subpar talent and some group of five schools is going to sign the greatest class in the history. It's not going to be like that. But – it could be two or three players in that group of five class who should be in a power five class or two or three players in a power five class who should be in a group of five class. And that is going to change the dynamics a little bit. And listen, evaluating the top 100 players in America is the easiest part of it. (laughs) So the top 100 players will distribute to the top five programs like they always do. And I'm not saying that, uh, Tulane's going to win the national championship in three years. But I, I do think that there is a chance that other teams like Minnesota's of the world or the Mississippi States of the world might be able to kind of win a division or do something in a, in a conference when they otherwise wouldn't have been able to because, honestly, I, how many players do you think, Andy, does it take to hit on out of the realm of what you normally do to, like, make a real run at things? You, uh, four or five. Four or I five. Think four or five. If one of them's a quarterback, then you can reduce that number. Right. But – let, let, let me ask you this. This is not a reader question. This is an Andy question, but you, you know more about this than I do. What about a program like Minnesota that blankets the country in scholarship offers? They just toss them all out. Everybody's got an offer. Are they in better shape in a year like this or worse? Worse. I don't, I mean, like if there are more red flags or more false, uh, offers out there and people jump on them and you don't have a chance, you have a better chance of signing a really bad class than you do of signing a great one. So like, I mean, I do think that if you offer, cause there are programs like Clemson is the exact opposite. They offer nobody and that's yeah. worked out well. If you get the offer from Clemson, you better take it because it's probably <laughs> yeah. gone. And, and you have the play, the, the programs that offer everybody. And I think if you're not evaluating and you know, the thing is, as much as we all talk about, coaching and how elite of a job that is and how amazing it is there's a lot of incompetence in the coaching ranks and there's a lot of people offering and making offers to people that they hadn't even analyzed on their own based on what they've seen in other places so all you got to do is go to 24 7 and you see a cluster of offers and a lot of times these guys aren't even watching film they're just like oh this team offered so i'm gonna offer and now if you're playing that game you're putting that's what i do (laughs) yeah if i were a lower tier power five school somewhere near the the west coast of the Rocky Mountains, I would just wait till Boise State offers and offer everybody Boise State offers. <laughs> I just cheat off their paper the whole yeah. way. Yeah. And it's so easily done now because every offer is reportable. Um, but I just, it's, this is one of those things where there's no shortcuts. 
And if you're relying on somebody else's evaluation, you're going to get fired pretty soon. And if if your idea is, I'm going to look at the top 250 to 750 players in the country, and I'm going to offer 80% of them, you're going to be in a bad spot. So the the long answer to your short question was, do you think that's bad or good for teams that have blanket offer strategies? I think it's bad. All right. Let's go to one more question. This is not a recruiting question. This is a born on the 4th of July question and not an Oliver Stone, Tom Cruise question. This is from Dan and Dan has asked me this question in various forms over the years. So now he's just having fun with it. Dear Andy, it's common knowledge by now that Luke McCown, Brock Berlin and Todd Marinovich were all born on the 4th of July. If you were hosting a birthday party for these three legends, where would you take them and which game of theirs would you watch afterward? And he says, we could also watch Born on the Fourth of July if we wanted. So Dan in Minneapolis wants to know where are we taking him? We could take him to Little Miss Barbecue. Do, I think that'd be fantastic. Yeah, like are we talking about cities or are we talking about restaurants? Um, I think he's talking about restaurants. <laughs> oh, well, I had we could take him we could take him to Chompies. We could They'd take him full. to Chompies so you could show them how to how a real man eats. Um I where so I want to take an NFL quarterback to Las Vegas. So that was like my original, if I'm going to hang out with the NFL quarterbacks, we're going to Las Vegas. And then I'll let you uh, come in here because every amazing restaurant in the world is in that one mile strip. You know, yeah. not all the hole in the wall yeah, places just, you love. Just find the best Tomahawk ribeye in Las Vegas. And I'm not sure which one that is because basically every major steakhouse ha- now has a branch in Las Vegas. So Mastro's ocean club, Aria Mastro's would be, that would be strong. I, I could go with that. So let's do that. Let's take them out for steaks. I got my Brock Berlin game. There's no question what the Brock Berlin game is because so rarely do you have a chance to do what he did in this game. For those who don't know, Brock Berlin was the biggest quarterback recruit in the class of 2000. He's from Freeport, Louisiana. He signed with Florida. And, you know, Steve Spurrier had a great run of quarterbacks. That's made sense. Unfortunately for Brock Berlin, he gets there, and there is a guy who redshirted the previous year from Bloomington, Indiana, that was not a very highly touted recruit by the name of Rex Grossman. And Brock Berlin was not long for the University of Florida because Rex Grossman was really good. So Brock Berlin transfers to Miami, becomes the starter at Miami. In 2003, Miami is playing Florida in the Orange Bowl. Florida takes a huge lead. Miami comes back. Brock Berlin leads the Canes back to beat the team that – I don't say didn't want him because Steve Spurrier was very nice about it. And I've talked to Brock since then. He said it, it couldn't have been a more amicable thing. It's just that Rex was really good, but it had to feel good to beat them the way they beat them that day. I don't know how you would be. Uh, I know you were a college football player, but I don't know how many interviews you were. Not really. <laughs> when you were, I don't know if anybody ever interviewed you. All I know, Andy, is if I were a college football player, good enough where people cared what I had to say, I would be the best quote machine on earth. <laughs> yes, you would. I swear it would be I'd either get removed from the team or the coach wouldn't let me have media after No, life. you would be you would be killed by the opposing team that you trash talked yeah, before good. the game. I, they, they would literally kill you on the but field. When 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 did we get to this place in this sport where you can't talk trash? Like if I if I didn't get to go to a school that I initially committed to or I did and I had to transfer out because somebody was better than me and then I came back and beat them. Oh my god! You have to have fun with it. It's sports. Like I don't know, like when, like uh, sometimes I watch like old YouTube videos of like old athletes talking trash from the '80s and '70s and just wish. Well, god. like Barry Switzer wearing a beat Texas. Hat. Yeah, like what's the like, problem? Can you, can you 
you imagine Lincoln Riley wearing a beat Texas hat? That's why I love what Caleb. Oh, he wants did. to beat Texas. It's okay to say that. Yeah, what's, is, is it like wrong to say I want to win? Uh, and that's why I liked Caleb Williams. He, he did the horns down at the uh, on TV, and you know you got to start off right. Like have fun with it, you know. Hurt, hurting feelings already. All right, I, I don't know. Do you have a Luke McCown or a Dan? I have a, a Luke a McCown store, uh, and this is just because of research. So, but most okay. he set a record in October of 2000, um, mm-hmm. Louisiana Tech versus Miami. He oh, set wow. a Division One record for most plays from a freshman uh, with 80 uh, true freshmen against Miami. And he had 444 total yards in that game. And later on in the season, uh, or the same game, excuse me, it's the same record from the same game, he had 72 attempted passes, which is the most for a freshman, completed 42. I don't even know who won that game. I want to watch that. And he's like, Tim Rattay, who? (laughs) It was like all Uh these stats all in that one week. It's crazy. I think we're watching a lot of Luke McCown because in 2003, he threw a touchdown pass with two seconds to go to beat Michigan State in East Lansing. So I'm going to go with that one. Uh, but, yeah, he was he was spectacular. Now, my, my Marinovich game is not a USC game because if you don't recall, Todd Marinovich did come back and play football later in life. In fact, when he was 48 years old, he played for the SoCal Coyotes which is a developmental pro team. Uh, he, he had not played since 2000, and this game was in 2017. He went 19 of 28 for 262 yards and seven touchdowns. He also had two interceptions, but they won 73 to nothing against the California Sharks. So 48-year-old Todd Rinovich, uh, dad probably not yelling at him at this point, had a really good day. Seven TDs. I saw that, and that was going to be my answer too, because that was the that was on a publication called the Desert Sun. I read about this, so um, I remember when it happened. It it was not. I think the Jared Lorenzen comeback had been a little bit earlier. Yeah, yeah, no, but that's the perfect. He played for the the River Monsters team and and just blown it up, and that that thing had blown up the internet. So. I, but the Tom Rivich story was really sad. If you've read all about, you know, the, the deal with his dad and he was very domineering and, uh, you know, it, it's one of those things you, you hope somebody can find some peace after something like that. So maybe that was just fun. Maybe it was finally fun for him because just from everything I've read about his career, I'm not sure how many games at USC or in the pros were. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that you said it perfectly, Andy. Fellas, are you prepared to unveil your summer bod? The beaches are opening, the sun is shining, and the bushes must be tamed. Manscaped is here to ensure your post-quarantine body is ready for the wild. Look, we've all seen there's something about Mary. We, we know there's horror stories out there. And I realize that was a zipper, but we're talking about the same general area and you know, slightly above, slightly below. You're trying to trim everything up and look good. You don't want that to happen. It will not happen if you use Manscaped. It will not happen if you use the lawnmower 3.0, the most technologically advanced, most beautiful cordless body trimmer known to man. And it comes in the perfect package 3.0 kit from Manscaped 
You get that cordless body trimmer, the lawnmower 3.0. You get a ton of other liquid formulations to help round out your manscaping routine. This is the best trimmer on the market for those of you in need of a chest shave. This third generation trimmer features skin safe technology to reduce manscaping accidents. I have one. It has an LED light. You can see exactly what you're working on and you don't need to worry. You're not going to mangle yourself. That's the best part. If you subscribe to the perfect package, you get a new blade refill for your lawnmower trimmer delivered to your door every three months. And for a limited time, subscribers get two free gifts, the Shed Travel Bag, which is a $39 value, and the patented high-performance reduced chafing Manscaped Boxer Briefs. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC at manscaped.com. Do yourself a favor and always use the right tools for the job. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code THEATHLETIC. And for a limited time, subscribers get not one, but two free gifts, the Shed Travel Bag, which is a $39 value, and the patented high-performance anti-chafing Manscaped Boxer Briefs. So go to manscaped.com today and use code THEATHLETIC. All right, Ari. Now... We have a random ranking because that's what we do here. We always have random rankings. And we had a, a question that was very specific, and I think we, we've made it a little more general because we want to appeal to a more general audience. So Matt in Tallahassee wanted us to rank the best car model names. His example was the, the Gremlin, of course, the AMC Gremlin. That's probably a little too specific. And plus, the Gremlin is going to be number one for both of us. So now we're going to do might have been one. <laughs> our, that's true. That's true. And, and some of the names make no sense. Like some of them I get the Atlas, the Palisade, but like some of these supercar names, I don't even know what that means. I don't know what a Murcielago is. <laughs> I, don't I don't think you need means. to. I don't know what an Aventador uh, is. So yeah, no, I, I think what's an Oldsmobile Intrigue? There's nothing I, intriguing I, I about not that in, car. I was not intrigued <laughs> by it. No. Also the Chevrolet Celebrity would never be driven by a celebrity. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, that was funny, but if we generalize it, I think we can have some fun here. Yes, we're going to do just top five cars in general. So, Ari, what is your number five? Uh, Bentley Bottega. <laughs> Ooh, I do like and those. Those are nice. I like, so my list, and I don't know, every single time I do these rankings with you, Andy, I always do them kind of weird, but I did really expensive cars that I would buy if I had the money. But three out of the five are cars that I've personally loved and will want and maybe get one day. If, if you could. Well, that's my number one is actually the car I always wanted and ended up buying. Okay, well, so, my number one is uh, something I will never buy. But my numbers two, three, <laughs> and four um, might be. So two. I, I, may, I may have some that, that are a little out of, uh, out of my price range, but that's, that's fine. The first one, number five is not. Number five, just it, it has special meaning to me. And there's, they've started to make this vehicle again. But I'm referring to its original iteration in, in 1999, 2000, the Chevy Trailblazer. And I'll tell you why. There were a bunch of us, and this is, you know, I've just graduated from college. The guys I'm with are, are still in college and about to graduate. And we're talking. And we're asking what everybody's dream vehicle would be. You know, what if you had all the money in the world, what would you get? And we're, we're naming Lamborghinis and Ferraris and, and all this stuff. And one guy goes, Chevy Trailblazer. <laughs> and we're like, no, 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 you can have anything. Anything in the whole world. Chevy Trailblazer. No, no, no. 
any car you want. It could be, you could drive a semi truck if, if that is, is your dream. You know, the, it, Mercedes, Rolls Royce, BMW, you name it. Chevy Trailblazer. It's a guy who knows what he wants. And so every time I see one, I think of that and I think, you know what? That's probably a, he is probably a much happier person than I am because he knows what he wants. It's attainable. And he's probably and he has it. Yeah. Well, I funny thing you bring that up. I passed my driver's test uh, in that car, so that's what we had in two thousand three, four when I was trying to get my license. Oh, that was the hate. So the hate it. Yeah, and yeah. I, it was actually a great car. Um, and it's a shame that they don't make them like that anymore, because they the body style got bigger and boxier. I think a few years after that, and they don't make them the same. And I really like the two door ones. Those were kind of sporty and you know four by four. Yeah. yeah. So, okay, my number four, if we're ready to move on, is a car that I wanted yep, in I'm high ready. school. And I still, to this day, want. It's a 1990 Nissan 300ZX. And I don't know if you've ever seen those, but it's a very kind of... Uh, my. So, my dad had one. What? We had, It lived in our garage. He never drove it because he drove an El Camino as his daily driver. He, he was a you know, high school assistant principal. He, he had had a 240, and he'd had a 280. And so he got the 300, the 1990 300. It was red. It was beautiful. Five-speed. flat lights uh, on the front. Bo- yeah, Bose sound system, T-tops, everything. And he sold that thing so that I could never drive it. He, he made sure that by the time I got my learner's permit, that thing was Man. gone. Because, well, because he didn't want to pay for the insurance. Yeah. Because if we still owned the car, he would have had to insure me on it when I had turned 16. And that was going to be and too I expensive. Like- yeah, so like at the time, beautiful car. I really wanted it. And, you know, when I first got my license, it was still a 15-year-old car at that point. And it was a Nissan. And, and probably pretty, pretty It was affordable definitely affordable. And I remember just constantly, I want this, Dad. I want this, Dad. And the insurance was the reason he wouldn't let me do it. And I had a speeding ticket problem when I was in high school. But, like, I just, to this day, like, we'll go to eBay and we'll type it in. Because um, it's it, – I love, I, I love them so much more than the current 350s. Oh, so much better. It's a – beautiful car and you still see them on the road every once in a while yeah, yeah. I, I love that car. that was my chevy trailblazer in the story that you just said that would have been my car in high school you you could probably get one and if you like working on cars you could probably get one really cheap right yeah. now and and put it put a lot of work on it all right mine is my next one my number four is it's a real car but i love it for fictional reasons it is the 1980 Ferrari 308, also known as the Magna PI yes. car. <laughs> and I actually saw one of these not long ago in Sarasota, Florida. Or no, it was in Fort Myers. Just driving down the road. I'm like, it's the Magnum PI car. Isn't that also the car Where's- that uh, the blonde woman in all the vacation movies was driving when they claim up came up on Clark Griswold? You know, I think yes. it's the same car. But yeah, it's like a red convertible Ferrari. Yeah. Yes, and yes, this so this was Robin Masters' car that Magnum would, of course, use because Robin Masters was actually Higgins. I think that's what you find out at the end of the show. But it, I love that car, and everything about Magnum was cool other than him just begging TC for helicopter rides all the time. But that car was the one I wanted. That's that's the ideal, like, perfect car. Love that choice. I think we're... I think we're What's your number, number three? three? So when I was a baby, um, my mom used to put me in the back seat um, in a baby chair you know the ones that they you know is a, what are the, what is it, the things escaping me what's it uh 
car seat. Sorry. <laughs> and yeah, I used to yell out mommy Corvette every single time a Corvette would drive by. And she said, and I was like four years old, like it didn't matter what year it was. Like I could identify all of them um, between the eighties and the, in the fifties, I knew what every Corvette was for some reason. So to me, my number three car is a dream car of mine um, that I am probably going to get one day if I'm ever in a warm climate. And that's a 1969 Corvette Stingray black with T-tops, like the one that Chris Tucker drove in Rush Hour. That would be outstanding. Those things would be loud yeah. and fast. Everyone would know you're there. And I'm like not a big speed person. Like if you, if I had all the money in the world and I could buy any car I want, I would buy a luxurious car before a fast car. But that car is beautiful to me. Um, I love the 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 way it looks. Um, it's fast. It, it's so like southern california cool like i just love that car i think if you're the kind of person that can afford that you can have your luxury car right that you drive most of the time and you and you you know pull the cover off that one for fun every well, once you know in a while crazy. i don't know if you've ever seen this show on the history channel um it's called counting cars and it's about this shop in vegas it's a pretty popular show you may or may not have seen it but you can what these guys do is they go and they drive around and they find these cars like these corvettes that are on blocks or completely ruined, whatever, where the body is still intact, but everything else is messed up. They buy the body for a grand, and then they put in twenty-five or thirty thousand um, dollars, and then completely put it together. And it's like I paid thirty thousand dollars for the car I drive now. You know what I mean? And I know that like driving a Corvette Stingray from the '60s around isn't the best day-to-day car, uh, but like it's not outrageously expensive to buy one of these if you actually put the money. No, in it's storage. it's just the. It's it's the upkeep right. though. That's that's the, and the other thing is you just don't know. People don't realize how nice the appointments are on just your average car. You know your average Hyundai sedan right now. The interior is so much nicer than on a Stingray from 1969. And I and I realize you can you can probably make that look nicer, but some people are, go for the authenticity and want want it exactly as it was. And I don't know. I don't know that that's going to be that great. So I'm going to go number three. Also, mine is nostalgic. The 1994 Toyota Corolla, my first car. It got me so many places. It had a lot of you know firsts with me, and, and it was just it was a great car that I drove basically until the wheels fell off. <laughs> you know what? I'll let you have that on your list. It didn't occur to me, but I understand sen- sentimental value and I, I love that car man it, it, it just and yeah it was it was not cool it was not going to make anybody turn their head when i drove by it was not going to make anybody want to go out with me because i was driving it but it got me from point a to point b at a time in my life when that mattered a lot yeah no you know what i i've got no arguments there um and you could go get one right now no problem i bet you know you like it so much go get one <laughs> I could. I, I, I could probably get one and just throw it in the driveway and wait till my, my son is old yeah, enough to drive. Yeah, that's the he, perfect car for a 16-year-old. He, think, he thinks he's getting one of our vehicles, and he's not. He's getting something tank-shaped. All right, what, what is number your number two? two? 1997 Mercedes SL500 AMG. And I know Whoa. that like you can pick Mercedes convertibles from like 2015 and like – or 2020 and find $200,000 cars, but I've just always loved this car. It was in the movie Liar Liar, you know, all the unpaid parking ticket yep, scenes. I remember it. I have looked and have already told my girlfriend and my anybody who wants to know that I am buying this car 
um, in the near future. I've seen ones that have been kept in good shape and it's a convertible. So be a good secondary car. Once, uh, you know, things start bouncing back to normal, hopefully in this country, I'll be more comfortable buying it, but they're not too expensive to insure. And like, you can get one with like 60,000 miles on it for 12,000 bucks, like in very good condition. And I, I've just always loved that car. And I, and, and those things run really well. Those things are pretty reliable, so you should yeah. still be able to get some. And I'm afraid, stuff. you yeah. know, because German cars are very expensive to, you know, maintain or if the muffler needs replacement or, you know, I don't know. I, I don't, you said, if you like to work on cars, I don't even know how to change my wiper fluid. But I do know that. Um, We're going to have a sports rider Olympics one of these days where we all try to change tires. No, and, I have AAA. Like, and, I, I still know how to change a tire, so that's. I got that. I don't change my own oil, but I can I barely uh, change a but light bulb I, in my house, let alone changing a tire. So, uh, manual labor and being able to fix things with my hands is probably my biggest weakness as a man. But I do home ownership will cure yeah. you of that. I promise. <laughs> I couldn't do anything before I owned a house, and now I have a, a not a very particular set of skills. But I can one do a few word things. for you, Andy. I can, I can I can change out your ceiling fans for you. Condo. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess you have to fix inside. Okay, you're number two. You do have to put ceiling fans up in condos too. So, all right, my number two. We're going to go with a new one. Mercedes Maybach, because there's not a separate Maybach imprint now. It's It, it actually it doesn't have the M logo anymore either, which I, I wish they would bring that back on the hood ornament, but they, they're not doing that right now. But Mercedes Maybach S650 sedan. It's got a 6.0 liter V12. It's basically a race car disguised as a luxury car. And it looks just amazing. I've seen some on the road. I've never actually seen one up close. I, I guess I probably could go to a Mercedes dealership and look at one, but that seems a little far-fetched because I ain't, I ain't getting a two hundred fifty thousand dollar car. Yeah. Well, I mean, once you like, once you get to the top of this list, we're kind of on the same page here. So when we get to my number one, it'll make a lot of sense. Um. So yeah. that thing, I, I just, I, I could just imagine because it. It looks like it has all of the luxury features that you could ever possibly want, but then you could destroy somebody in a race. Yeah, no, I know. I, I, I You know, the thing that in, I think this is going to get brought up when I bring up my number one is there's a difference between, like, if you could have any car, like the car that you drive and the car you're driven in, I know there's a distinction for that, um, but... See, I would never want to be driven either. around. I want to drive. I want to drive in Yeah, I, I just... I, I, we took, my son is really into the supercars and, and so watches all the shows, watches tons of stuff on YouTube, collects the die cast models. So we went to an, an exotic car dealership one time just so he could look at a Lamborghini and a, and a Ferrari up close and a Rolls and a Bentley. And the, the guy was talking to me and he's like, well, you know, the Rolls is more to be driven in and the Bentley is more to drive. And I'm like, I am never going to have to make that distinction but I guess I'd take the Bentley because I'd rather drive myself. Okay, well, then you might hate my number one because mine's a Rolls-Royce Phantom. Uh, it's the most beautiful car oh. on planet Earth. Oh, it is it's beautiful. The, uh, and I would drive it. you know. And if you if you hate the four-door, which is, would be my choice, then give me the two-door convertible one. But the interior, the craftsmanship, um, every single detail involved, the body style. It's like if you are somebody who made it in life to the highest degree, you have a Rolls-Royce Phantom. And I've always wanted the... I, I'm not a smoker, uh, but I've always thought it would be the coolest thing to have a Rolls-Royce Phantom in Miami at night, you know, with the starry roof where every single oh, yeah. roof is an individual constellation and just burn us, <laughs> get the windows down, playing your music, 
Listen, Ari, if I'm if I'm driving a Rolls yeah. Royce, the only thing I'm doing is going up to stoplights, rolling down my window, and asking people for mustard. <laughs> well, if I have a Rolls Royce, I'm gonna get a menthol cigarette. Pardon me. Inhale. Do you have any gray Poupon? <laughs> well, maybe you'll have one, Andy. I think you're closer to having one than I am. But just no, sir. Uh, I've watched YouTube videos of this thing, and it's just like, you know the. The artwork in the dashboard costs like twenty grand. You know, it's just like everything about it. And there's just—I know some people will say Bugatti. I'm very excited to see what your number one is. But in terms of craftsmanship, body style, icon, iconic grill, everything about it—it's the most beautiful car on earth. So my number one is is what I'm I'm driving right now because it's what I always wanted, and I've never had a vehicle where I never wanted anything else. All the vehicles I've always had. There's always been something else I'd rather have. I don't feel like there is anymore. And so I've got an F-150 Raptor. And I didn't buy it new because they're, they're pretty pricey new. But I found a good deal on a used one. And it is the most fun thing to drive in the whole world. It is great that you can have this very finely tuned machine that you can just throw a bunch of stuff in the back and bounce it around. And it's, it, it can handle the beating you put on it. And it's just... It's outstanding because I, I, I always wanted a, a truck and my wife's finally, you know, caves and is like, okay, fine, you can get a truck. And now she's, she wants to drive it more than I do because it is very useful. Again, the home ownership thing, the home improvement, all that stuff. When you got to buy a bunch of pallet, you know, get a pallet of sod or get a yard of, of wood chips to, to put down or, you know, get lumber to, to bring in for a project. It's great to have a pickup truck. And I looked at them and I was like, I, I want to I lift one and I want to do all this different. So I looked at, you know, regular F-150s and what you could do to customize them and all that stuff. And I was like, well, I really just want the Raptor. And so there was a, we have one of those dealerships in town that, that has the new to you kind of gently used cars. And one showed up one day and it was, it was in the price range. And I was like, That's okay, it. I got it. Well, do this. the thing that I, I never knew about this and I have always liked thought, I wanted a truck, but I was very appalled by how quickly these F-150s, not just the Raptors, just the regular F-150s, can get up into the 60, they 70, very thousand expensive, dollars. very fast. I'm like, you know yes. what, man? If, if, I'm, if I'm paying 75 grand for a truck, I'm, I'm going to get a Porsche Cayenne or a, a Porsche Panamera or something like in that range. Yeah, good. Okay, I got a I got a Porsche Panamera story. Please, it's the, that car should have made my list, and so, I made a mistake by not the, putting it on there. The night before the Florida State Auburn BCS title game, I don't know how this happened, but but some of us wound up at a party at the Playboy Mansion, and so the, the game was in the Rose Bowl. We wound up at this party at the Playboy Mansion. We're watching as we're waiting for whatever rental piece of junk we came in to get wheeled around as we're leaving, watching Tito Ortiz remove baby seats from his Porsche Panamera, Porsche Panamera, so two young ladies could sit in the back seat. <laughs> Can you explain to me, like, I know this podcast, we might be getting to... You were at a party at the... They let your ass in there? They let a lot of people in there, Ari. <laughs> no, I just want to know what's going... I thought it was like the, a... The, not, not, the bunny had fallen on hard times yeah, at that I point. I think, like, you're like my role model in life, so don't take that as a swipe. But I thought you had to be, like, famous to get into a party there. You do not. <laughs> <laughs> you just need to know somebody who has an invitation. And we did... And it was it was interesting. So the, the guy who was running Playboy at the time was an Auburn grad. I think that was why they threw the party. But they they were not 
in great shape. The, the, the mansion itself, you know, it had seen better days. The grotto, I wouldn't dip a toe in that water. Let's put it that you way. You could have gone into the grotto and you didn't go? Oh, no, we went into the grotto. I didn't go Why? in the water. Well, I didn't want to catch I anything. Mean, I mean, that's the. I mean, if you if you're near the grotto, you go in the grotto. I don't care if you Actually, catch anything. Like we we weren't we weren't allowed to go in the okay. water. I was gonna say you didn't now, opt not to. If 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 you were if you were a woman under thirty who wanted to remove her yes. clothing and get yeah. into the water, they they let you in because several did by the end of the night. But we were not involved with any Andy, of that. So you have a F one fifty Raptor, and you've been to a party at the Playboy Mansion. Like, is there anybody, anything else that, like, you have stored into the I'm cool stories? Because, like, I'm really into this right now. No, I'm, I'm, I'm still a <laughs> No, you're not. I, I promise no, you're you. not. I promise you that. So, but, yeah, that, that, was, that was my Porsche Panamera story. And every time I see one on the road, that is all I can see. <laughs> yeah, well, that is hilarious. And hopefully you'll see one on the road, uh, and it'll be me driving it next time. Well, if you're trying to decide between a pickup truck and that, and you're picking that, you really don't want to pick up. Yeah, I mean, I just don't want to be... I don't want anybody to think I can fix anything, ever. But, like, is the Raptor the one that is off-road and also fast? Like, everything about yes. it is amazing. Like, yes, yeah. it has the, the off-road shocks and all that. So there is a mud bog not far from my house. There, You can go mudding. And I, I know what will happen if I do. I'll be calling my wife, I'm stuck. Even though it's designed for it. I feel like you have but, to. That's the whole point. One, one of, of these, these days, days, it's going to happen. Take your son when it's he's going to happen. Oh no! I trust me. He he thinks he's going to get that. I'm going to drive that thing for like twenty. And years. then right when I'm going to be 15, the old guy like in, the, in the, the you, it's just that's a tradition like no other. Get rid of the car. <laughs> he's not touching that <laughs> thing. He can have the Corolla. It'll yeah. be fine. <sighs> Ari, it has been a pleasure. May your Porsche dreams come true. Shoot, may your Rolls Royce yeah, dreams yeah. come true. Unless you get a Chevy Trailblazer. <laughs> Actually, yeah, we need to reorganize our list. Chevy Trailblazers one, then then Phantom two. <laughs> <laughs> Number one with a bullet. I know, you know, not so much about the car. I just hope we all can learn something from that guy. I think we should. All right. Ari, right, thank you so much. Anytime. Love being on the show. That's it for the show. I don't have any other Playboy Mansion stories. That's that's the one I got. So if you're hoping that these next few footballless months, and we don't know how many they're going to be. As far as we know, they're still trying to start the season on time as scheduled. We'll see if that happens. But I can't fill them with Playboy Mansion stories, and I'm, I'm very sorry about that. But we are going to have as much fun as humanly possible here on the Andy Staples Show. We'll even bring Ari back because I think this is the first time he's been on where he hasn't enraged the entirety of the Michigan fan base. So he's growing. Baby steps. Let's... Let's make it happen. Ari Wasserman, you'll hear him again. If he insults Michigan again, I may suspend him for a while. But keep on coming back. We'll talk to you Wednesday.